You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and that means it's Friday. We are at the day before the day uh, where... Oregon takes on the Washington Huskies on the road up in Seattle uh, Friday morning or afternoon or maybe Saturday when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, hopefully you, you've, you're ready for this football game, Eric. Huge, huge game for both sides of the football. Obviously, Oregon's got a two-game lead uh, in, in the conference in the North Division uh, over the Washington Huskies. And, and if Oregon comes out of this game with a victory, that sets up a, a situation where Oregon basically has a, a four-game lead over the Washington Huskies. It would it would take four losses for Oregon to be overcome by Washington, and, and yet Washington not losing a game the rest of the way uh, for for this you know for Oregon to basically lose the North at least to, to Washington at least. So this game is starting to shape up as, and it has shaped up as basically you know judgment day for at least the Huskies. I think Oregon could come out of this game with the loss and, and they'll still be in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 North. It's just their margin for error gets a little bit thinner. Um, for Washington, they lose, they're done. That, I mean, that's the reality of it for, for, for Washington. And so if you're Oregon, you're going in, A, you, you want to beat your rival, B, you can uh, basically eliminate a championship possibility from your conference rival uh, by winning this football game to, this weekend. And it's a, and I, I think... You can look at it like Oregon has some room for for error to maybe lose this game, but I'm sure you know, I, and I'm they're not, not sure taking that approach. They're not taking that approach at all. They want to win this game. They know what this game means in terms of you know just the, the Pac-12 race, but they also know I think in terms of sending a message to you know to the rest of the conference, especially to Washington, of there's a changing of the guard. I think if Oregon goes out and takes care of business and they win this game, you know obviously all of the implications in the conference we've talked about those, but. I just think Oregon steps up and says we're the we're the top dogs here, and we saw them do that a little bit against Colorado, but Colorado's not Washington. Uh, they're not a program with that same uh, luster. They're not a program that maybe moves the needle quite like Washington does. And so if you go out and you can go into Seattle and come out with a dominant win, where you kind of are able to pump your chest and say, "Hey, look at us. We are the new team in the Pac-12. We went away for about four or five years, had some you know down moments, but we're back." I think you can do that this weekend. I think you have that opportunity. To do that, and it's really kind of the first opportunity to do that this season to a certain extent. I think beating Stanford helped. I think beating Cal helped. Obviously, the competitive nature against that against that Auburn team didn't hurt. But this is an opportunity to really show that you're the class of the Pac-12. And, and I think Oregon's going to show up motivated and ready to do that. All right, major storylines this week for Oregon. Probably the most most important one is uh, Jacob Breland, the Oregon starting tight end, leading receiver. Uh, leading receiver in yards, leading receiver in, leading player in touchdown receptions, uh, out for the year, um, with an injury. We don't exactly know the official one, uh, but the reality is, is he's out. He's not going to play. His backup is also already out for the season in Cameron McCormick. So Oregon will be starting their third or their fourth string tight end against the Washington Huskies and then whoever else they play the rest of the season. I mean, we know of some other games are on the schedule and, you know, potentially a bowl game, potentially a conference championship game, and who knows, you know, what other games could get added to this schedule as Oregon continues to win football games. But uh, that's going to be 
the, you know, that's the, that's the injury that we need to know about. And, uh, quite frankly, it's going to be a tough one. And how does Oregon move on from here, Eric? Yeah. Well, we should mention that it's one, you know, the Breland injury and then there's four other guys out for the season in Kale Millen, Kim McCormick, Adrian Jackson, and I'm blanking on the fourth one, uh, right now, but there's, there's, there's a handful of guys now out for the season, but outside of those guys, there's nobody else that's even questionable. Everyone else is full go and expected to play in Seattle this weekend, and, and that's a great thing in terms of, you know, coming into this game healthy. But back to your question about the, the tight end position, um, it, it's going to be a group of guys that haven't really filled into this role before. Nobody has made a start without Breland also in the lineup. Uh, Ryan Bay started a couple of games last year, but those were games where they started in the two tight end set. So uh, this is going to be an opportunity for between Hunter Campmoyer, Ryan Day, uh, Spencer Webb, Patrick Herbert, guys that we haven't really seen do it yet, to get a real opportunity to prove what they can do. And I think, obviously, you'd prefer if this was a bye week or you were playing, you know, maybe not the best team in the Pac-12 besides yeah. Oregon. But this is the situation, and this is the hand you're dealt. And I think you kind of have to take it in stride. And uh, speaking with Cantmore this week and, and other tight ends, they kind of said it's going to be everybody given an opportunity to do a little bit of everything, to prove themselves, to prove that it's, it's their job. So I think we're going to see... I wouldn't be surprised if we see all four of them. I think Patrick Herbert's probably the, the one that we're maybe least likely to see, but I certainly think you're going to see Bay, Cantmoyer, and Webb play in this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see quite a bit of all three of those guys. And then Patrick Herbert's kind of the wild card. So uh, it's not optimal. It's it's certainly not the situation you want to be in. You want to be obviously at 100% against a team like Washington, but it's the situation they're in, and they're kind of having to deal with, again, that next man up mentality. And we saw it against Colorado in the second half there where the defense was down, Troy Dye and Javon Holland, arguably the two best defensive players, and the backups came in and there wasn't much of a drop-off, and Colorado didn't score a single point after that. So this is a team that's shown it's capable yet, but they're going to have to, you know, once again kind of step into the challenge here without Breland. Yeah, I asked Crystal Ball this week just kind of how do you balance the scale of playing Patrick Herbert in football games and getting him ready and then at the same time preserving – that red shirt and keeping him, you know, keeping, keeping his, his red shirt intact for the season. And, and it, it seemed like, you know, based off what Cristobal said either way, that it's going to be very difficult to do that with, with Patrick Herbert. You know, he said, you're probably going to have to play him in some capacity. And, and after getting him some snaps and getting him some reps, making that judgment call of, do you play him? Two more times, or do you play him? You know, once he hits game four, does does he play game five? Does he play game six? Uh, is he going to get the the snaps that warrant the the justification of of playing him in those extra games? And so, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we see Patrick Herbert uh, against Washington this weekend, and then next weekend against Washington State, and then a decision be made after that of do we keep playing him or do we? Shut him down and, and finish out the red shirt. And we should say, I, just once again, how, how great is it that that's an opportunity? That there's an opportunity to give a guy like Patrick Herbert two games to kind of audition to play for the rest of the season. If it plays out great, if it doesn't play out, you can sit him and not worry about using that red shirt year. Because for a long time, when Oregon or other teams were faced with the situation, it was got to play the guy. You're gonna have to burn his red shirt year, and this wasn't an opportunity. So again, sure. I think this is. We haven't, Oregon hasn't had a ton of situations, you know, since the rule change where you have a guy in Patrick's scenario where you're kind of mid-season, you're trying to determine what you want to do with them. But again, I think just the fact that that's a, a deliberation that you, you have to go through 
uh, speaks to how that rule is, is working in a really good way right now. All right. Let's let's go to the next one. Justin Herbert's time to shine in this football game. You feel like I, I look at this game and we see the the scouting reports and the NFL scouts and we see what people are saying and Pro Football Focus is saying that he's not playing in big games. And the reality is, I think this is an opportunity for Herbert, even though Washington's defense is not playing at the exact same high level that they were the last two or three years. And it's understandable that nine starters had to get replaced this season. So obviously there's going to be some growing pains and they're going through that. But they're still a respected defense. They're still one of the better defenses in the country. And I think if, if Herbert comes out and he plays this football game, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him and on this football game in general. I mean, we've got the Jacob Eason factor, two quarterbacks that are, you know, first round draft picks. A lot of people are going to want to see how they perform. You've got two defenses that are well respected. So you want to see how the offenses look against that. How does defenses look? Vice versa. Uh, and then look, the Washington Oregon rivalry is just, a, it's just a marquee game naturally. It, it moves the needle. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on, on this football game. And I just think that there's a situation out here. Well, he doesn't, I guarantee you, he doesn't care one bit. He, he, he could not complete a single pass and they win and he'd be happy. But the reality is, is that this is going to be an opportunity, I think, for Herbert to really go out and play at a high level and make some really big impressions. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if he comes out and plays a really clean football game and Oregon wins, even if they don't win and he plays really, really well, there's going to be a lot of praise that's going to be thrown down on him the next couple of, next couple of weeks after this game is played. And we should mention with Washington and that secondary, they, they've lost a ton of guys the last handful of, you know, last couple of years here to the NFL. A really talented secondary over the last, you know, 2016, 17, and, and even last year in 18. A lot of pro players playing on the defensive back end for Washington, and a lot of those guys have taken off now. And so it's, it's not quite the same group that's been there, but it's still a group that ranks third in the Pac-12 in opposing yards per game and a third in the Pac-12 in opposing quarterback rating. So they're still performing at a high level, just not quite as high a level as the last couple of years. So in terms of Herbert jumping out here and, and, and putting up huge numbers, if he does that, that's going to be against one of the best, if not the best, defensive secondaries Oregon has faced this year. Cal is second in the Pac-12. Oregon is obviously first uh, in those stats, but... Uh, an opportunity for Herbert against, again, some very talented defensive players for Washington, even though they're not the same guys we've seen there for a while, to make a, to, you know, to, to make him have a moment, I guess, to make a name for himself, to, to show up on a big stage in a big game and, and win Oregon a big game. You know, we haven't really seen, for everything Justin Herbert's done, his road performances, he, had, he doesn't have really a, a marquee road game besides Stanford this year. And you could even say that game was kind of a weird one for him because, they didn't win purely because of – it's not like he led them to victory. I think this is an opportunity for him to do that because I do think – we'll get to game predictions and bull predictions uh, later on in the podcast. I do think this is a game where Washington's going to score some points. Uh, I, I know this Oregon defense is awesome, but I think Washington is going to figure out ways to, to do some things here. And I think Oregon offensively, behind Justin Herbert, is going to be asked to score more points than they probably have the last couple of weeks in order to win. Obviously not including the Colorado 45 points, but – I just think that's going to be required, and it'll be interesting to see if he's up for the challenge. Personally, I do, uh, but it's certainly going to be a big challenge for, for Justin Herbert against, again, a very talented Washington secondary. All right, I think going into this football game, Oregon's going to win this game by doing two things. Um, and these aren't necessarily my keys, but if, if, if 
if this, if I was going to game plan an attack, um, of, of what I would want to do to beat Washington, I, I think the last couple of weeks, Oregon fans have been clamoring and beating the drum for letting Justin Herbert throw the football. And I think that is a smart move overall, you know, tr- no matter who you play. Um, but I think in this football game, seeing what Stanford did to Washington's defense when they were able to power run the football and and just suck the life out of that Husky defense. I want to imi- I want to intimidate, you know, imi- imitate that. I want to do that again. I, re- I want to replicate that. And that kind of goes with the DNA of what Mario Cristobal wants. And so I think early on you try and establish the run game. See if you can, you know, rip off some big plays of seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen yard runs and string those together against this Husky defense. And then you start going over the top and you do the play action and you take a 30 yard bomb down, down the field to Micah Pittman. See if when you do throw the football, go for the jugular, go for the deep shot, go for the home run shot and, and, and use the run game. If, if it's effective and if you are getting those big chunks of yardage, and you're putting yourself in second and three, second and four, second and two, second and one type scenarios. Continue to run the football and time and time again. And when you do throw, go for the juggler, take the deep shot. And then on the flip side, I or look, this is so cliche, and this is this is so important, you know, basic and boring. But Oregon's got to be able, I think. Don't give up the home run play. That's how, you know, that's how Washington in my mind is going to, you know, win this football game is by quick strikes. And for, for Oregon, it's keep everything in front of you. And Chris Fetters was, was right on our show earlier this week when he, he came on and said that, you know, stunting and, you know, having guys tw- twist and, and, and blitz from different angles could really mess up Jacob Eason's internal clock at, at the quarterback position. Um, I really think Andy Avalos needs to dial up some pressures and it's like I said, it's so cliche, but put the Huskies in third and nine, third and eight, third and 10 or more situations and then go. And just like I said, on the offensive side of the football on third down, go for the jugular, go, you know, go for the kill shot and, and try and get big hits, big sacks and, and you'll create turnovers either by fumble or by an interception. I think one of the things, I don't know if we're transitioning into keys here, but I think one of the things that is going to be critical is you just look at the number of pass attempts Washington has had in games this season. In their wins, Jacob Eason has attempted between 22 and 28 passes. In their losses to Cal and Stanford, he attempted 30 to 36. So when he throws the ball or in the game script calls for that, they have not been very successful. And, And you look at just the, QB rating in those games, his QB rating in, in his five wins this season is over, well, it's over 200 and, or over 190 in four of them and over 120 right. in the other. It's under 100 in the two losses to Stanford and California. So I think you're right. Getting pressure on him is critical. I also think, uh, like I said, it's, it's a situation where you want to get pressure on him, but if you're able to get a lead, if you're able to build yeah. an early lead and you force Washington to rely upon Jacob Beeson and throwing the football, and I know it's counterintuitive to say you want the opposing, you know, five-star, all-everything quarterback to be the one keying the offense. But I just think you look at the numbers, he hasn't proven this so far this season that in a game where it's close, 
uh, or they're having to come from behind, that he can make the plays. He struggled against California. He was 18 for 30, 162 yards in a pick. He struggled against Stanford, 16 for 36 yards. Or sorry, 16 for 36 for 206 yards, a touchdown and a pick. You need to be able to force him to throw the football a lot and make it urgent throws, like you were saying, where he's moving around the pocket. You can't let him just sit back there and use that all-American arm. You have to force him to do some stuff with his feet. So I think that's critical in terms of winning this game is getting after Easton and making making it a Washington attack that is led through the air and not by uh, the ground. Yeah, you're 100% right in terms of getting up, you know, and generating some kind of an early lead against the Huskies. And that kind of goes into just overall coming out clean and and not having an early setback and, you know, not having a three and out on your first drive and having to punt the football. Like worst case right. scenario would be Washington or let's worst case scenario would be Oregon getting the football and uh, first going three and out and then Washington just goes down and and methodically moves the football against the, the Ducks and and scores and then the next drive Oregon goes three and out. Like that that's just worst case scenario. Uh you you do not want to see that. That puts you behind the eight ball right away and 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 so quite frankly you want the inverse of that. You want Oregon to right. you know really just Come out and move the football. I don't even necessarily think they have to score really quickly. Just, you know, even if it's like, you know, almost like those six or seven minute drives can be devastating to a team when you have the football for that long, you score a touchdown and then the defense uh, goes out and gets a three and out or, you know, Washington maybe gets a first one first down and it has to punt and, you know, two minutes later the, the Husky defense is back out on the football field again and, and Oregon's driving again. That's what you want. And I think that's going to be so critical of, of how that first quarter plays out for Oregon or maybe the first half of the first quarter and the first half of the third quarter of just you know coming out and playing clean football at the start of each half and not letting Washington get an early jump. Yeah, and I think you just your worst case scenario there sounded an awful lot like uh, last year at Washington State. Yes, and and uh, obviously Oregon on the road they haven't really done that a whole lot this season. Obviously Stanford, we talked about the fact that Stanford's not quite Washington in terms of just the opposing crowd. Uh, you need this you need this Oregon team to come out uh, focused and able to kind of deal with the moment because it is going to be there are going to be some challenges of playing at Husky Stadium. There's no question about that. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kramer Scopel is with me as always. Uh, going into our bold predictions now of 
this football game. And Eric, I'll let you start off with your with your bold predictions for this football game. How courteous of you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my first my first one here. Uh, I think Micah Pittman, who we've seen make some big plays in two games, I think seven catches for 100 yards in his first two games, is that I think he's going to have a bigger impact um, on Saturday. I think he's going to lead the team in yards, and I think he's going to score his first career touchdown. I'm not going to make a prediction on how many yards he's going to catch, but I do think he's going to have a big role in this game, and I think it's going to be critical against, again, especially with Breland out for this game, with uh, with questions about kind of how ready Juwan Johnson and maybe Brendan Schooler are to make contributions. I think it's critical that Pittman uh, is available and, and can play at a high level. I think he's going to do that. I think he's going to come through like we've seen him do throw so far through two games. And I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of unleash him a little bit more because I think we've seen him do some – we've seen him be extremely productive in two games, but I think there's a little bit more there we haven't seen just yet. All right, so 22 players – from Oregon have caught a touchdown pass from Justin Herbert. I said this earlier, 34 players in their careers have caught a pass from Justin Herbert. I think both those numbers go up. So I think we see 35. Um, that that could mean, uh, actually, looking at it, do I see, I don't see a Juwan Johnson on this list. I mean, that, that number right there could, could explode to uh, 35 before the game is even played. I mean, I he did catch a pass. He did. From, he got two. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the stats here, uh, of, of the Washington game and they're not including Juwan John. Oh, there he is. I found him. All right. Nonetheless, I think Juwan Johnson catches, uh, a touchdown pass and he puts himself onto the 23 guy category for, for players. And I think someone else on this, on this football team that hasn't caught a pass yet from Justin Herbert, maybe that's going to be Patrick Herbert. Uh, mm. Getting, you know, a reception in this, in this football game. Um, I, I think we're going to see a guy. I feel more confident in the number going to 23 and, and whether that's Micah Pittman going with what you said or Jawan Johnson, uh, catching a touchdown pass. Those are probably the two most logical guys out there. Yeah. Um, but I, maybe Josh Delgado. I don't think he's caught in the touchdown pass yet from, uh, uh, from, from at all since he's been here no. at Oregon. Um, so one of those three guys will catch a touchdown pass, and I think we also see uh, a different player for the 35th time catch a pass from Justin Herbert, which would also extend his streak, by the way. To I'm trying to remember what is what is the streak now? It would be 34, so it would be 35 straight games he's thrown a touchdown pass. It's a lot. It's like it's every game, I think. Um, okay, Oregon has not scored a special teams touchdown this season. They got pretty close in the opener against Auburn with Javon Holland's punt return that, that was down, I think, inside the 10-yard line. I think we see a special teams touchdown in this game. I'm not going to say it's Holland on a punt return. It could be on a kick return. It could be on a kick block. But I think that's something we haven't seen yet. I think the odds are at some point this season we see it, and, and I'm just sort of picking a big moment in this game, which I think is going to be a, a pretty close game throughout. I think I think there's going to be a game or a momentum swinging special teams play, and I think it's going to be a touchdown for Oregon. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the football for for mine, um, and I, I think C.J. Verdell is going to have a big game on the ground in this football game. He did it again. He did it last week against Colorado. Now, granted, Colorado's defense, you can argue, is not in the same stratosphere as the Washington Huskies. Uh, but I, I think we're going to get 
a really good performance against the Washington Huskies last year. He had a really good game. 29 carries, 111 yards, two touchdowns, including the game winner that put it to 30 to 27 in, in overtime. I think Verdell, uh, has maybe one of his best games as an Oregon Duck, uh, this Saturday against the Huskies. Is he gonna, you know, run for a, a season high or career high of 187, which he did against Oregon State in four touchdowns? Probably not. I don't think I'm gonna expect that, but, I think he's going to go over 100. He's going to have a touchdown or two. Uh, and when we walk out of Husky Stadium, we're going to be talking about how uh, all of a sudden in back-to-back games, uh, Verdell has kind of figured things out offensively, uh, and Oregon looks really, really good in the run game all of a sudden. That was my number three on my list, so I'll just ha, stick with take that. that. Yeah, you jumped it. You got, you got there before I did. C.J. Verdell runs for over 100 yards for the second straight week was on my list. That is, I agree with Matt for a lot of the same reasoning. I just think... We've seen Oregon take uh, turn a corner a bit after that bye week. You know, we saw it against Cal, even though there was an injury to Verdell and then a couple of fumbles from Travis Dye. And then we saw really just almost flawless offensive play in terms of running the football against Colorado. I think we see another game, again, against a, a strong, strong Washington defense. I just think, I think Verdell, I got a hunch Verdell's going to have a big game and that's going to be critical because I think it's going to be hard to win this game if it's all dependent upon Herbert throwing the football. I think I think he's definitely up for the challenge, but I think they have to establish the run game. And I think they will. And I think Verdell, who, again, off to a very slow start this season, didn't touch it a ton in non-conference play, had a really hard time against Stanford. I think we're going to see him start to pick it up here and potentially make a move towards being an all-conference caliber guy, which is sort of where we thought he might be coming into the season, although he started very, very slow. All right. My, my next one is my fourth, or is this my third? Should be... Oh, boy. Where are we, Matt? Uh, let's see here. I've said Pittman. I've said two special teams touchdown. I've said Verdell. That's three for me. That's I started, so this should be three for you. Yes, that's that's where I was at. Just wanted to make sure. Just wanted to make sure. Just, just testing me. Just testing you. Uh, I think Jordan Scott's going to have a big game in this game. He, he, again, was a guy that played really well last year against that Washington offensive line. I think Jordan Scott, he might not statistically get anything. He might not show, show up on the stat sheet at all. Uh, but I think when all said and done, Oregon's defense is going to be lights out, and they are going to have a ton of quarterback pressures against Jacob Eason. I think the Washington run game will be held below their average. I think Oregon will get a couple sacks, and I think a lot of that is going to be attributed to the attention that Jordan Scott's going to draw. He's going to get double teamed, possibly even triple teamed throughout this football game. And I think his, all the focus on him is going to open up a lot of er- other areas for guys to make plays. Along the same lines, uh, I think Oregon is going to force Washington to make two turnovers. I think Jacob Easton is going to be, uh, I guess, on the stat sheet for both. I don't know if it's going to be two picks or a fumble or what, but I just think the way Oregon gets after opposing quarterbacks, and honestly, the way Easton has, has turned the ball over, he, he has struggled with that at times this season. I think this is an opportunity for an Oregon defense was just forced four against Steven Montez last week, a defense that currently it's three touchdown passes allowed and 12 interceptions. I think they're going to force Easton into some bad throws. I think they're going to capitalize off of it, um, and I think they're going to force two turnovers from Washington's very talented quarterback. Oregon's defense hasn't allowed a touchdown in the second half since week one against Auburn. Nevada didn't do it. Montana didn't do it. 
Stanford didn't do it. None of those teams even scored a touchdown. Cal scored a touchdown uh, to take a 7-0 lead early on. Colorado did not score a touchdown. I don't think Washington scores a touchdown in the second half Ooh. of this of this football game against Oregon. And that streak of, of, of what would that be, six straight games without a touchdown, yeah. you know, it, it's currently five. I think it goes to six. All right, last one for me, and it sort of transitions us into a little bit of talking about game predictions. I think Ducks win this game, uh, and they double the spread. Uh, the spread's currently, I think, two and a half, so I'm not super bold there in predicting a, a five or more point win, but winning games in Seattle is difficult. Oregon hasn't done that in a little bit here, and I think they're going to do it. And coming into the season, if you remember my preseason predictions, I know I got roasted by a lot of Oregon fans. I had Washington winning this game. I just thought it was a lot to ask. This Oregon team, which really hadn't, frankly, proven itself to be able to win these sort of games uh, last year, I thought it was a lot to ask them to win this game, especially with Washington, I thought, being pretty darn good. And I've seen enough from Oregon at the midway point of the season to think that they're very much capable of winning this game. And I've seen enough of Washington, conversely, to think they're capable of not winning this game. They're capable of laying a stinker and really struggling in Oregon winning. Um, we'll talk about our exact game predictions in a second here, but I just think this is an Oregon team which is ready, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, to make a statement to kind of announce themselves as the premier team in the Pac-12. And I think they're going to do it in Seattle. I think it's not, I don't think it's going to be super easy. I don't think it's going to be super, I don't think it's going to be a thing of beauty. I don't think it's going to be another 45 to 3 win, but I think they're going to get a way to do it and they're going to do it in convincing enough fashion that we come away going, boy, this Oregon team is, is sort of ready for that next step. So I, Oregon has a five game winning streak right now. Um, and it's the first time since 1933 when Oregon was in the Pacific Coast Conference, the PCC. That, sa- that 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 sounds like Lane Community College to me. I I, I have no idea, but I just that, that that formulates in my mind. Um, but the first time since 1933 that Oregon has held its first three conference opponents to under 10 points. I think that streak snaps this week at Washington. I think the Huskies get into double digits, um, but I don't think it's going to get really any much higher than that. And, and I and I mean this by I think Oregon. Defense allows one touchdown, and this kind of goes into my score prediction as well. Um, I see this defense playing really, really good, and this season has been the year of the under for for Oregon football, and so I'm kind of meshing my my final bold prediction into my score prediction here. Um, but the it's been the year of the under for Oregon football, and you look at the games this season, only one has hit the under or has hit the over that Oregon has played in. That was Nevada because Oregon scored 77 points. Um, right. The under in this game is 50 right now, and I think that's going to hit. And and the reason why I say that is because I think Oregon's defense is really, really good. And we've said this on this podcast a lot already. We've said it before throughout the week. Uh, I, I, I think this group is going to come in and they are going – we're going to see a game that's going to be similar to what – Washington looked like in the first half against Arizona or what they looked like against Stanford or or, or California um, at times against what USC. I don't see Washington scoring more than, than 16 points in this football game. And I think the under, because of that, is going to hit. Um, Oregon's going to win this football game. I, I think by 
by more than one score. And, and so I, I'm going to predict something of, of the nature of um, 27 – or I'll just make it clean. 28 to 16. I think Oregon wins this football game uh, in a really, really good fashion. They look really clean uh, doing it as well. Um, actually, that doesn't – Come out to being a two-score score, so I'll make it. I'll make it 28-13. Oregon wins this game by 15 points, uh, and they look they look really good doing it. I have Oregon winning 31 to 20. Uh, a lot of similar logic as to what you just said in, in terms of just the way the game is going to play out. I, I don't necessarily know if I am on board with the no second half touchdowns thing. I think it's going to be a game that remains pretty close until maybe the last five minutes when Oregon tacks on another touchdown to, to kind of create some separation. Um, I think it's going to be a game that, again, like I said earlier, that you come out feeling like Oregon has really taken a step. And I know it's not going to be that sexy 45-point game you had against Colorado or a game like we've seen where the defense holds the opponent to seven points or less, because I do think you have to give credit to Washington just for being a good team and a top 25 team and a team that is certainly going to be able to athletically at least contend with you. Um, but I think Oregon is, is, I think Oregon's the better team. I really do. I think this game was played at Autzen. I would think this game could be much more lopsided. But I think the fact that it's on the road, I think it might be a game where Oregon does take a, a get off to a little slower start than we're used to seeing. But I think ultimately they write the ship and they win 31 to 20. They improve to six and one in Pac-12 play and or six one overall and four and zero in Pac-12 play. And again, you look up at the standings and Oregon is in a tremendous position now if they win this game, like I think they will, to win the Pac-12 North. Would it surprise you if if Oregon scores 35 or more points? I don't know if it would surprise me necessarily. Uh, Washington this season, I don't believe has done that yet. So it would be new for Washington to struggle that much. Um, defensively, let me pull up their schedule to make sure I'm not omitting a game here. It's 17, 20, 20, 19, 14, 23, 27. Yeah, so 35 would be a new high for Washington's defense this season. Um, I wouldn't be totally shocked by it, but I don't know. I, I, I tend to think this is a game where Oregon's offense is still not quite as potent as we've seen in past years, and Washington's defense is going to be good enough to at least keep it sort of respectable. Um, so I'm going to say I don't think they'll get that number, but, like, I don't know. I guess it would, I haven't scored in 31 points, so I don't think it would be, like, totally shocking. I, I just have this feeling that neither team's going to get below 30 or above 30. Um, and I, I look at this game, and it, it's going to be kind of – I mean. I, it's going to feel like a Stanford game. Like both teams are going to want to run the football, dominate ball control. Don't make mistakes. Don't, you know, don't turn the ball over with, you know, with a risky throw and whatnot and shrink the game a little bit. And and it's just going to, it would ultimately be the ultimate surprise for me. If both teams come out and we see an offensive shootout, I think this just feels like that 1990s style big game where Oregon just plays really, really, you know, with both teams just rely on the run game. I think that, I think that's in part what I'm expecting too. And the, there's a, the, we look at the weather forecast. There's a possibility that there's some rain here and this is a, a game that the conditions aren't the best for. And that could be conducive for a game where there is a lot of running and maybe the quarterback play isn't quite as good as, as it should be considering the talent these quarterbacks have. And so, I'm on board with that. I think that's kind of a similar idea of how this is going to be played. I think, frankly, just the way Oregon has played so far this season, most of their games have that sort of feel. And I think the personality of Oregon's head coach will continue to come out uh, this right. week in Seattle, and they pull out a nice win. All right, that's going to do it for 
us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem. Thanks for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys enjoy this game. And uh, next time we talk to you on the podcast, we'll be broadcasting from somewhere inside Husky Stadium, recapping this game, win or lose. So uh, look for that podcast as well. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.